Hi, fellow fiends. Happy Friday. And we all know that that means it's time for another episode of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces. I'm your host, Cassiopeia. Um, we got some awesome new content coming that's going to be Facebook and Instagram exclusive. So make sure that you're following along on both or either creepycases.spookyspaces. It's going to be a lot of cool stuff um, coming your way. So make sure you're following along. Also, don't forget that every Friday there's a new episode. And if you are a anchor or Patreon subscriber, there are also bonus episodes every other Tuesday, and we're going to start doing the early access to episodes, the Friday episodes as well. So be sure that you're subscribed if you want to do the bonus content and you get a little bit of thank you swag through that. So this week's creepy case um, is actually a very interesting one. And I went down a whole rabbit hole with this one, a rather deep one. And um, so let's go ahead and get started. On the Sunday morning of May 5th, 1957, Marjorie Wynn was bewitched by despair after having been forcibly separated from her children, and she decided to commit suicide. She took lethal quantities of aspirin and phenobarbitone, got into her car with the intention of colliding somewhere at full speed. Now, residents of the small town of Hexham, North Cumberland, England, saw the woman driving erratically through the quiet streets, and her final stop was a wall running along a sidewalk. She rammed the car at Full speed, but she didn't die. Instead, she collided with and killed three young children who were walking to church. The woman was taken into custody and eventually sent to a psychiatric ward. The three children, 11-year-old Joanna Pollock, her six-year-old sister Jacqueline, died at the scene, while their friend, Nine-year-old Anthony died on the way to the hospital. And as you can imagine, the families were left grief-stricken. And that was the end of that. Or was it just the beginning? This is the creepy case of the Pollock twins. So before I tell you the story of the Pollock twins, let's talk a little bit about reincarnation. A lot of cultures believe that the rebirth of a soul in a new body happens. Um, it's the philosophical concept that the non-physical essence of a living being begins a new life in a different physical form or body after a biological death. And while some cultures believe that you can come back only as a human, some also believe that you can come back as an animal, an insect, or even a plant. And it derives from a Latin term that literally translates into entering the flesh again. Now, I believe in reincarnation, and I believe that when we 
when we die, our physical body, our soul goes to um, a, a place where it rests and kind of learns from the learns the lessons from the life that we just lived. And I feel that you kind of level up each new life. And if you hit a specific kind of plane, you can either move on and go to what is kind of called euphoria or utopia, or you can actually be reborn again. Now, it's believed that once the physical body dies, the soul spirit returns to the spirit realm to regenerate. And when it's ready, it's reborn into a new body. And a lot of people believe that karma, uh, this is where karma kind of comes with, and that karma follows you uh, from life to life. And if you pay your debts, quote unquote, that you will have an easier life in the next reincarnation. Now, it's most common in Hinduism and Buddhism, and it actually plays um, played a big part in ancient Greece and Celtic pagan faiths. And most Christians don't believe in reincarnation as they more so lean towards the life after death. And they either ascend to heaven or they descend to hell. Um, a significant importance on karma goes along with reincarnation. As a lot of people believe in how you live affects the next life. And one feature that is attributed to reincarnation is birthmarks. And most believe that birthmarks are wounds or marks from the previous life. And it could be a, a wound, just a simple wound, or it could actually be what killed you and that you carry that on uh, through the next Experimental birthmarks, it's actually to recognize them in the next life, and that's what some cultures believe. And they actually have put marks on people who are dying and to see if they could recognize those marks in the next life. And a lot of people think that your fears and passions, memories of places and events that you didn't actually live or um, experience, they believe that those are signs of past lives as well. I actually have always had a fear of bridges and deep water, and I never understood why. And my mom was telling me that she used to have a very vivid dream that she was a woman who was carrying a young child, and they were crossing a bridge, and it was storming, and they got, the, you know, her and the baby got washed off the bridge and they drowned. And she said that it was so vivid she would actually wake up gasping. And we have a friend, she used to be our reverend at a medical metaphysical church in Tampa where I grew up. And she told her that it was a past life and that she was actually carrying one of her children. And one of those children were actually one of her children in this life as well. And we 
basically narrowed it down to, that's probably why my mother and I are absolutely insanely terrified of bridges. <laughs> um, I can cross them. I do. However, I get horribly uh, anxious and it's just not a fun time. Um, passions. I love entertaining and I love um, writing and things like that. Singing, dancing, acting. I love doing it all. So um, entertainment is a big, big passion of mine. And so I always feel like in a past life, I was, you know, probably somebody who was a big celebrity, maybe. Um, there's actually, I have birthmarks on my body where Marilyn Monroe actually had marks on her body when she died. Now, I'm not saying I was Marilyn Monroe in a past life, but if you look at our track record and you look at a lot of similarities and um, ways of thinking and just likes, dislikes, and just things like that, they match up. But, you know, once again, not saying I'm Marilyn Monroe, but, you know, I could be. Anyway, um... But yeah, things like that also pertain to reincarnation. And I kind of just wanted to touch on that because this creepy case uh, revolves a lot around reincarnation. And I wanted to point some of that out because as you're listening to this, the details of this case, I want you to kind of pay attention to these subtle little things. Hi listeners, are you a small or large business owner looking to draw in more customers? Maybe a freelance writer, recording, or visual artist looking to share your craft with more people? Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces now has ad space available. And with package tiers starting at just $10, it's a budget-friendly way to spread the word about your business, product, or craft with an internationally streaming podcast. For more details on how to get your ad on Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces, send me an email at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com. John Pollock was born in Bristol in 1920, and he was raised in the Church of England before converting to Catholicism. Florence grew up a member of the Salvation Army and became Catholic in the 1940s when she married John. When John was nine years old, he read a novel that touched on reincarnation, and despite his Christian faith, he strongly believed in it. And he actually told interviewers that he would pray to God for proof of reincarnation so he could prove himself right and the priests wrong. Now, Joanna Pollock was born in 1946, the couple's third child but first daughter. Around five years later in 1951, the family moved to Hexham and their second daughter, Jacqueline, was born. Florence and John ran a pretty successful milk delivery business, so the children were often left with their grandmother. Joanna was a generous child and would often look after and quote-unquote mother Jacqueline, who liked to dress up and play games of imagination. 
She also looked up to Joanna and admired all that she did, and the pair were inseparable. They would spend hours together gossiping and laughing and letting their imaginations roam free. When they were given the chance, they combed people's hair. and They loved the sensation between their fingers and especially loved the way their dad's hair felt. At one point, Joanna had a premonition and she would often state that she would never be a lady, often telling people that she would never grow up. Now, at three years old, Jacqueline fell into a bucket and sustained a small gash on her forehead over her right eye, near the root of her nose. And it was slightly depressed and especially visible in cold weather. Now, Jacqueline was born with a mark on the left side of her waist, and that'll be of significance a little later. Now, Losing a child is arguably the most painful thing a person can endure. And for several months, the grief-stricken parents actually talked about taking their own lives. And they thought, if Joanna and Jacqueline were no longer with them, why live? Now, I kind of thought this was kind of a crappy thing because they had four other kids. Like, they had four other sons. And it's kind of weird that it's like, um, why are you, what? Like, you have other kids. How about live for them? Now, Florence actually tried to avoid thinking about the girls, but John became obsessed with their death. And on the day of the accident, he actually had a vision of the girls in heaven. And he said that they, he sensed their spirits in one of the top rooms of the house. And he began spending almost all of his time there. Now, between the two, John was more collected. And he actually raised the topic of having more children. And he said later that he felt the girls' death was a punishment from God for having prayed for proof of reincarnation, but he also felt that his prayer would be answered and the girls would be returned. Now Florence, who was a skeptic when it came to reincarnation, objected to this notion. And for a time, the dispute actually threatened their marriage with Florence almost filing for divorce. But when Florence became pregnant, John went around town telling just about anyone who would listen that he and Florence would be having another set of girls. And he was met with solemn stares and pitying glares. And twins didn't run in their family. And the doctor had only heard one heartbeat in the womb. But John would not be deterred. On October 4th, 1958, Florence gave birth. And what came next was more than a coincidence. On October 4th, 1958, Florence gave birth to a set of healthy twin girls. And they named them Jillian and Jennifer. Now, the girls were identical but had different birthmarks, which is not, it's not, it's, it's rather uncommon. It's not, you know, impossible, but it does not happen often. 
And Jennifer was born with a unique birthmark, a thin white line on her forehead, in the exact location that Jacqueline had the scar from when she fell on the bucket when she was three. And John thought that this was the answer to his prayers, as Florence stayed skeptical. But then she noticed that Jennifer also had a second birthmark, eerily similar to the one that Jacqueline had in the same location on her hip. Now, the similarities and oddities just kept going. Not only did the girls physically resemble Joanna and Jacqueline, their personalities began to shape like them as well. The family moved away from Hexham when the girls were infants, but just three years later, they moved back. And the girls seemed oddly familiar with places they had they had never known, pointing out locations their deceased sisters had enjoyed. And as they walked along one day, one of them stated, the school's just around the corner, although the school that Jacqueline and Joanna had attended was still visibly blocked by a church. And the other sister remarked, that's where we used to play on the playground. Now, another strange experience was during playtime when Florence found Jillian holding Jennifer's head saying, the blood's coming out of your eyes. That's where the car hit you. Um, that's rather interesting and kind of creepy to me. But, I mean, if she knows and she was there. She also made a comment about how Jennifer had hit her head on a bucket. The twins also became increasingly upset and panicked when around cars and other vehicles. Florence said that both Jennifer and Jillian seemed more cautious than other children around cars than she'd ever seen, and they would keep close to her and grab for her hand at the, even the sight of a car. But still skeptical, Florence felt that maybe it was just due to her own cautious behavior that they were kind of projecting. But John said that he rushed to the girls after hearing them screaming hysterically, finding both girls cowering and hugging after a car started its engine. And the one of the girls said, the car is coming to get us. Hey, fellow fiends, have you ever wondered what it would smell like to walk through a dark and foggy cemetery at the witching hour? Or how about sitting in a dim, damp file locker, poring over the details of the creepiest true crime cases? Well, if you have, you're definitely one of my people, and you can now put those wonders to rest by heading over to pizzaandpigtails.com, clicking on the Wick and Fay link in the left-hand corner and getting your hands on your very own Wick and Fay candle line. Now, if you're not into those scents, don't worry, you're still one of my people, but they also offer a wide range of fragrances, such as Bitch Slap Blue, Sunday Yummy Sunday, and Chill the Fuck Out. And with a wide variety of fragrances, you are bound to find something for everyone in the family. So what are you waiting for? Head on over 
pizzaandpigtails.com, click on the Wiccan Fae, and don't forget to use the checkout code CREEPYSPOOKY to get 10% off your first order right now. Now, all families keep old toys up in the attic, and the Pollocks were no exception. But when Florence brought down toys that the deceased girls used to play with, she was in for a shock. Jillian took Joanna's, and Jennifer took Jacqueline's. They knew which dolls came from Santa Claus, and they even knew the names of each doll. Now, it said a request for their old toys is what brought about the toys being brought down in the first place. So it seemed that Jillian was the reincarnate of Joanna, and Jennifer was reincarnated from Jacqueline. And Jillian even acted more mature, and Jennifer enjoyed costumes and acting on plays just like Jacqueline did. The girls also enjoyed brushing people's hair, especially their dads. Now, Joanna and Jacqueline were predominantly raised by their grandmother, and although Florence was more hands-on with Jillian and Jennifer, they often turned to their grandmother for guidance and attention. Now, right before her death, Jacqueline was still learning how to write, and her teacher told her parents that something needed to be done about how she held the writing utensil upright in her hand, and it was more of like writing, uh, holding it in a fist and kind of using it that way. And while Jillian and Jennifer began to learn how to write, Jillian got it down right away. But Jennifer struggled until she was about seven years old. And even as a young adult, she would revert to holding the pencil upright in her fist. Now, at one point, uh, when Florence was more hands-on with the milk business, she used to wear a smock. And apparently it was put away uh, a little bit after the girls had died. And... John was pulled it out to do some painting, and one of the girls actually went to him and asked why he was wearing Mama's smock. Now, as the girls got older, the strange coincidences um, began to fade. First of all, I don't believe in coincidences. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, but their story had piqued the interest of child psychologist Dr. Ian Stevenson. Now, he was also deeply fascinated with the idea of reincarnation, and he actually studied it and was trying to see if it could benefit medicine in some way. Now, he learned of the case the following, um, following the widespread news reports in 1963, and he began interviewing the family at their home when the twins were about four years old, and he examined the girls' birthmarks, and he actually met with the family again in 1967 and kept in touch with them until visiting them next in 1978 when the twins were about 20. 
Florence passed away in 1979, and Stevenson actually visited with John and his new wife and Jillian in 1982, and he kept in touch with them until John's death in 1985. And he actually wrote a detailed case report in the second volume of Reincarnation and Biology, a contribution to the etiology of birthmarks and birth defects. Now, this case is one of several discussed in a broadly skeptical critique. It's been met with the criticism that the only witnesses to the similarities were her family, one who strongly believed in reincarnation. But who else would have been able to even touch on these similarities and oddities and strange happenings other than people who actually knew the family quite well? Um, some believe that the parents are just flat out lying and some believe that the brothers told the girls the information that happened, but between the birthmarks, like you can't lie about a birthmark first of all. And second of all, with how old the girls were when they started talking about all of these things, I don't think they would be able to hold on all to all of that information. I don't think they'd be able to take it in and really understand it and then repeat it in the manners that they did. I don't see why they would freak out around cars so much, um, even if they heard the stories. I don't think that they were old enough to really understand what happened. And now Richard Rockley, a reporter for the website Skeptic Report, suggests that John Pollock most likely talked about the notion of the twins being reincarnation in front of them. And he also suggests that the parents could be reading too much into the things that the twins said. However, birthmarks that match past life birthmark scars or even wounds are not only found in the Pollock case but in a substantial proportion and Stevenson found 895 cases in which the previous incarnation was identified and now whether you believe or not in incarnation I think it's safe to say that something definitely could I mean, I don't want to say something definitely happened or something definitely could be going on, but there's definitely a phenomena. And whether we understand it or not, there's just no question. And I really wish that we could have, um, I wish that we had more to go on or there was more to the story or the case or that it might have been a little further along in the time line of uh the history because I feel like we would have a little bit more to kind of judge and go off of um but tell me head over to the Facebook or Instagram page uh creepycases.spookyspaces and tell me your thoughts on reincarnation because I would love to hear them and on that note until next crime Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces with Cassiopeia is a Pizza and Pigtails production. All episodes researched, written, and edited by yours truly. You can find new episodes every Friday with bonus episodes coming out every other Tuesday on your favorite podcast listening platform. <laughs>
Be sure to follow along on Instagram and Facebook at creepycases.spookyspaces for all podcast news and updates. Don't forget to subscribe through the anchor.fm or the Patreon page for exclusive access to bonus content, early episode access, and thank you swag. And if you have a creepy case or a spooky space that you would like to hear featured on a future episode, send me an email at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com.